This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. This week we have a discussion with Brad Jost, the host of Jurassic Park podcast. And he's been on the show a couple times before, but we like to get together at the end of the year and talk about what happened this year and some of the exciting stuff going on. Our dinosaur of the day is Gigantoraptor, and we have a bunch of dinosaur news. But before we get into that, we want to thank our special patrons, Kyle, Brendan, and the Tolbert family. Thank you so much for your continued support. If you want to join these special people on the $5 reward tier, or if you want to just see what our Patreon page is all about, check us out at patreon.com slash inodino. Yep, there's lots of good stuff on there, <laughs> if we do say so ourselves. Yes. <laughs> so jumping right into the news, first we're going to go back to SVP, as I've been doing quite a bit, because there was so much to talk about that we couldn't jam it all into one episode. So we didn't actually get to see everything while we were there, because there were always at least three presentations going on at the same time, and sometimes more than one of them even had to do with dinosaurs so you had to kind of pick and choose which talks you would go to it was very difficult yeah and yeah <laughs> but live science just did an interview with michael habib who did a presentation that we missed called up up and away terrestrial launching in theropods which is pretty exciting and they looked at an age-old question of how flight evolved and really, there are two main hypotheses. The first one is the trees down method, which basically goes on the assumption that dinosaurs learned how to glide first and then eventually kind of started flapping their wings and grew larger muscles to go along with the gliding. The other main hypothesis is the grounds up method of evolving flight. And basically that's you run really quickly and possibly do that wing assisted incline running where you kind of flap a little bit while you're trying to run up a hill. And through the process of that, you develop these muscles while trying to kind of make bigger leaps or, you know, run up steeper hills. And eventually that turns into flying. Both of them make a lot of sense, but probably only one of them actually happened. <laughs> and... The scientists in this case modeled 37 non-avian and early avian, I guess meaning very early birds, but still in the Mesozoic, genera and 51 specimens across those 37. So some of them had duplicates. They then tested whether the dinosaurs could take off either by running fast 
or by leaping into the air. And one major factor was that the most efficient living birds can support about two and a half grams of body mass per square centimeter of wing size. So basically there's this ratio between how big their wings have to be compared to how much they weigh in order to figure out if they could lift all that weight off the ground. So that's a good thing to know. And now that we have a lot of these well-preserved feather outlines and things of dinosaurs, you can see basically how big their wings were. And if you can estimate their weight based on the size of their bones or other factors, you can kind of calculate whether or not they might be able to fly. So in the end, they found that nine of the 37 genera could fly, and that included Microraptor. Most interestingly, all of these nine potential flyers could take off from the ground, which is pretty good support for the ground-up hypothesis, because the trees-down one kind of stems from the idea that you had this large group, especially things like Microraptor, that may have had things that looked like wings, but if they weren't strong enough to flap them or otherwise fly with them, then they might have been gliding. So if Microraptor could take off from the ground, that's a one point for the ground up camp. <laughs> Definitely. Another potentially contentious topic is whether or not dinosaurs were cold or warm blooded. And we've talked about that a fair amount on the show before. There's a new paper titled Dinosaur Demise in Light of Their Alleged Perennial Polar Residency, <laughs> which I really like the title of, especially because it uses alleged in such a pointed way. Yeah. And it's an article by Zeev Louie in the International Journal of Earth Sciences. And in it, Louie challenges the claim that polar dinosaurs are evidence of warm-bloodedness. We've mentioned that before, that that's one of the stronger arguments for dinosaurs being warm-blooded. How could they live somewhere cold all the time if they were cold-blooded? Because, you know, how would they ever get up and move around? So, basically, he describes a scenario where dinosaurs who typically live away from the poles might have moved closer to the poles in the summer because of the longer sunlight, which would allow for better mating. And he refutes the claim that previous finds from the polar regions were permanent residents and they might have just been there temporarily and then moved back in the winter and maybe they just died there in the summer. And obviously modern birds do this because we see birds migrating all over the place all the time going north towards the poles, at least in the northern hemisphere, <laughs> in the summer so that they can get more of that sunlight. So it does make some sense. And if you take away that piece of evidence for dinosaurs being warm-blooded, and they were potentially cold-blooded, that would make them more susceptible after the Chicxulub impact for extinction because cold-blooded animals wouldn't have been able to absorb all the sunlight through that big layer of cloud and nastiness that the Chicxulub impactor kicked up. Louis summarized it by saying, quote, the apparent cold-blood non-avian dinosaurs, which were used to living in open terrains to absorb their solar illumination, became inactive during the dark period and were incapable of withstanding predators. This was in contrast to cold-blooded crocodilians, turtles, and lizards that could hide in refuge sites on land and in the water, end quote. So it's kind of an interesting way to explain why non-avian dinosaurs might have gone extinct Whereas these other reptiles didn't because they could go into the water or other little spaces 
and stay alive. I'm not really sure if this completely explains it because there were quite a few small non-avian dinosaurs. And it seems like if you're making a case for these lizards that were smaller to survive, that were not aquatic, that some of these non-avian dinosaurs could have. But it is a good point that if you remove those polar dinosaurs from the equation that maybe they didn't have to be warm-blooded. Maybe they could have been cold-blooded and could have been worse for them during the impact. The debate continues. Yeah. Yeah, and it had been a little while since I had seen a piece on why they might have been cold-blooded. Next, near Morrison, Colorado, researchers are digging up dinosaur fossils from boulders that used to be used as guardrails. This is according to KDVR. So, These boulders were guardrails for 50 or 60 years at Dinosaur Ridge near Red Rocks, but then they got real guardrails, and then the boulders were delivered to the Morrison Natural History Museum, and they've started chipping away at the rocks. And so far, pieces of a dinosaur similar to Stegosaurus have been found, and the museum's letting volunteers drill for fossils with supervision, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of funny that they were inside these boulders just sitting on the side of the road. Yeah. Next, according to NPR, researchers have found a lot of fossils near a shopping center in New Jersey, and each week they dig for fossils with kids. The place is Rowan University's Fossil Park, and Ken Lacavara is doing his research there. And we've actually talked about the site before and how Rowan University bought the 65 acres last year, and they plan on turning it into a research and education park complete with a lab and nature trail. But I didn't realize they were doing these weekly digs with kids. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. There's a lot of good stuff in New Jersey. Doesn't get enough credit. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, there's a new book called Dinosaur Tracks, The Next Steps that, among other things, looked at the feet and trackways of sauropod prints to try to determine why their feet looked the way they did. So specifically, throughout sauropod evolution, the front feet kind of had shrinking claws, so they ended up with something more like a modern elephant foot. You know, it's a big round thing without really any nails or claws to speak of, while the back feet had pretty substantial claws that actually seemed to grow throughout their evolution. Weird. Yeah. And one of those claws, if you just saw the claw, you might mistake it for something like a theropod toe or something because they have some heft to them. So Lee Hall and Ashley Hall did a great summary of the work on the Cleveland Museum of Natural History's website. And along with Denver Fowler, they studied over 30 tracks to see if sauropods were possibly gripping the ground because they were on slippery material or something. That's one of the theories to why they would have these claws. But it's kind of strange that you would have claws on just your back feet and not your front feet if you were in slippery material. You know, like why would your front claws go away and your back claws would get bigger? That's true. Like a rear wheel drive (laughs) (laughs) preferred method. It's strange. So the breakthrough really came when they started looking at the tracks themselves and checking to see how the claws were interacting with the ground. When they looked really closely at the tracks, they found that the sauropods weren't digging their claws into the ground. They just kind of left them sticking out straight in front of their foot. So they weren't really using them for extra grip on slippery material. But they were capable of digging in their claws in a very interesting way. So when they flexed their toes, their toes not only pushed towards the ground, just like when we flex our feet, you know, you can get your toes to kind of curl under your foot, 
So their toes did kind of a similar thing with their claws, but the toe is also rotated across the front of the foot into this overlapping pattern. And they said that it was sort of like shingles on the roof of a house <laughs> where they kind of overlap, but are pretty flat against one another. And then once they're overlapped, the claws basically gave them kind of a garden hoe on the front of their foot. And you might think, why would you want a garden hoe on your foot? That does not sound like something evolutionarily beneficial. But what they're thinking is that the claws were possibly used for digging up a nest. So they were essentially keeping these claws or potentially even growing them for all these millions of years as an adaptation for burying eggs. And it had nothing to do with traction whatsoever. If that's the case, it answers the question that I asked a couple weeks ago when I said, why would paleontologists think that sauropods were digging nests with their back feet? <laughs> well, it's because that's where the claws are, and they turn into this garden hoe, apparently. So pretty cool piece of research, and it's a really good example of how you can learn things from a track that you can't learn from just the fossil of the foot itself. It's from the foot itself, you have no idea how they're using the claws. But when you start looking at these details of where the eggs are found and they look like they're buried, combined with the fact that when they're walking, they don't seem to be engaging their claws. It's interesting evidence for how they buried their nests. I like sauropods. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> so this is really interesting to learn about. Also, I don't remember if I knew that they dug their nests. You mentioned in one of the dinosaurs of the day that they might have dug with their back feet. That's true. Yeah. And I've, I've talked a little bit about how the porosity of sauropod eggshells make us look like they were buried because they have to be more porous when they're buried. So, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. There's also a good article about sexual dimorphism, meaning the difference between males and females, on inverse. And basically it covers how Pete Larson, who was our interviewee way back in episode one, believes that a female T-Rex would have a more substantial bone than the same bone in a male T-Rex. On the other hand, Jordan Mallon believes that hypothesis, as well as other proposed dimorphisms, are wrong. And the real issue here is if you have a low threshold for statistical significance, you're likely to see these kinds of patterns everywhere. Whereas if you have a really high threshold for finding these patterns, then biology is so messy that you can always pretty much attribute it to just the scatter of the data. And then there are always confounding factors such as the age or individual variation. One thing that might help is finding more specimens with medullary bone, which is found in modern female bird bones as an extra calcium storage and could potentially be found in more dinosaur fossils. They've already found it in at least one T-Rex, so you could probably pretty confidently say that that was a female T-Rex, but if you only have one sample, it's hard to say whether or not that means anything in terms of how robust they are. Larson is also in the process of comparing modern bird skeletons of known gender and age in order to look for a pattern that can be extrapolated to dinosaurs, which is another good way to look at it. If you get the right kind of variation there and you can compare it to dinosaurs, then you have a good corollary. Time will tell, it's certainly a really difficult problem. And just as an aside, Sue the T-Rex is named after Sue Hendrickson, who found it, 
but Larson also believes that it's a female because it has pretty robust bones. So aptly named. <laughs> Next, thanks to Patrick, who shared this one with us via Facebook. Ben Garrett, a scientific expert, is going on tour with his show So You Think You Know About Dinosaurs in Somerset County in the UK early next year, according to Somerset County Gazette. And in the show, he will be myth-busting dinosaurs and have interactive displays. And Ben lectures at universities in Oxford and Bristol and has also appeared on TV. And one of the things he talks about in his show is Melanorosaurus where he examines it and sees how similar it is to birds. And he also talks about the Jurassic Coast and offers tips for looking for fossils. So it sounds like a cool show. I wish we could see it. Yeah, it's a very, it's kind of a similar name to our show. So you think you know about dinosaurs, whereas ours is I know dino. <laughs> I was thinking of the show, So You Think You Can Dance. Yeah, that too. Maybe he'll dance with a dinosaur. I don't think so. Probably not. But that'd be a good show. I don't think it would. <laughs> Speaking of shows, on January 19th, Travel Channel will be airing Dinosaurs Mysteries at the Museum. And in the episode, Don Wildman, a history explorer, goes on a dinosaur dig in Utah, explores where dinosaurs lived in the Midwest, and talks about dinosaur myths while visiting the American Museum of Natural History. I'm not sure what myths he covers, but it would be interesting to hear. I'm guessing things like tail dragging, slow moving... Kind of the old standards. Yeah, stuff that used to be in the American Museum of Natural History. Yeah. That would make sense. wonder, he might mention Brontosaurus, but I wonder. You could do like a whole episode on that. Yeah. <laughs> Next, Ecuadorian company Aries Effect Studies has made a 3D model of Concavenator, according to Cadenacer. And Concavenator has been really popular since 2010, since images of one nicknamed Pepito came out. <laughs> And we'll post a link so you can see the video of the 3D image. It's a pair of concavenators, and the video is moving around the image. So you see it from all angles. Yeah, kind of like in the Matrix when they do that camera thing that, like, spins around them. Yeah. <laughs> Except they're not moving in slow-mo, unfortunately. No, That'd but they do look like they're locked in battle. Yeah. In game news, there's a new mobile MMORPG multi massive multiplayer online role-playing game yes good job <laughs> i think you could since it's mobile mmorpg they could call it an mmmorpg nah, that's too many too many m's yeah how about a 3morpg how about just a mobile game okay <laughs> i guess we could go with that so the game's called Durango, and it's another take on people traveling back in time into a world full of dinosaurs. Really popular trope. <laughs> Unfortunately, it looks like there are also Smilodons and other things that make no sense along with dinosaurs. Oh. But in the trailer, I couldn't ever see them on the screen at the same time, so maybe you can just go back to different time periods, I'm hoping. That'd be cool. But we'll see how it's set up when the game releases. At the very least, they definitely have dinosaurs that have no business being around at the same time together, but yeah, that's not quite as bad for some reason. For now, all I can tell is that there is a large portion of the game dedicated to building a village, including tamed dinosaurs and a system for battling that looks pretty fun. I can't really tell how time-intensive it is. MMORPGs tend to be a little bit time-intensive. Plus you're yeah. traveling back in time, so that's a lot of time. <laughs> I guess so. 
If you want, you can sign up for the beta program and get the game early by going to durango.nexon.com. And we'll post a link on our blog in case you're interested in going to that website because it's kind of a long URL. And that is available until January 3rd when I think they're going to close the beta thing. They also said that there's a limited number of these beta access codes. They give you one as soon as you fill in your information. I already grabbed one just so I can try the game at least. So if you're interested, get in on it quick. Thanks to Patrick for sharing another dinosaur game with us on Facebook. The game's called Dino Frontier, and it's on the complete opposite end of the price spectrum from the Durango game, since it's for the PlayStation VR. The idea behind it is combining the Wild West motif with dinosaurs. So Westworld and Jurassic Park? No, there's no robotic people in it. I'm just saying, Wild West, dinosaurs, also both Michael Crichton. Dinosaurs are Michael Crichton? Jurassic Park. <laughs> I don't know. If you saw it, I don't think you would be making this connection. Okay. It doesn't look anything like Westworld. But the idea is that you're building a settlement and you're the mayor and you can both tame and battle dinosaurs. And then the game has a really cartoonish look and feel to it, unlike Durango, which looks pretty serious. And it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. It's got really like funny kind of slapstick violence with the dinosaurs and stuff so it looks pretty cool it's coming out sometime in 2017 and hopefully i'll know someone with a playstation vr by then because i want to try it and it doesn't look like it's coming to pc this is colossal reported on darren pearson a photographer in la who creates dinosaur light sculptures with long exposure photography he uses a night rider device which is an led product that he made to illustrate skeletons in all colors, and obviously my favorites are the dinosaurs, though he has made some beautiful flamingos and scorpions. We've talked about Darren and his work before, but this is the first article I've seen that talks about his process, and he even sells the Knight Rider on his website so other people can try their hand at this art. And I might want to try it sometime. Seems like you need a lot of open space, though. No, you can do it in the backyard for sure. But to do it like his scale... Yeah, I'm not sure how big he does them. Looks pretty big. But I mean, dinosaur size, what you mean, maybe like 30 feet long. It's not that hard to find 30 feet of dark space at night. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Next up, the Burke Museum in Seattle, Washington has started excavating their T-Rex skull from its plaster jacket. And you probably remember that when they discovered it, it was one of only about 15 relatively complete T-Rex fossils to be discovered in the whole world. And they're updating their progress regularly on their website. So, so far they've spent about 100 hours taking out the lower right jaw from the jacket. And they've got 10 teeth in the jaw exposed. And it, I think that's all the teeth. It looks like they've got enough of the jaw exposed that you'd be able to see if there were more teeth. And the fossil looks great with all the teeth in really good shape. And the jaw looks nearly complete. They said there's one big crack and a couple little surface cracks, but it looks like it's in really good shape. And they got super lucky because the fossil is preserved in sandstone, which might be the easiest material you could ever try to remove a fossil from because it just kind of flakes and crumbles away. It's nice. not like 
Yeah, some of them are like concrete and there's no way they can extract it. Like the Utah Raptors? Yeah, some of those are really tough or sometimes they have like metal bits in them too and it, it can be all messy. But now that they're almost finished with their part of the jaw, they were kind of using that as a primer to see like how easy it would be to excavate. <laughs> And they were pretty pleased with how easy the sandstone was. So they're going to start moving on to the skull and the ribs that are still jacketed. And it looks like since they're moving so quickly, hopefully they won't have any trouble finishing before the new Burke Museum opens in 2019. So something exciting for the new museum. Yeah, cool. We should visit. Yeah, it's closer than most of the dinosaur attractions. Yeah, it's true. And last in the news, the dinosaur ride at Disney's Animal Kingdom has reopened, according to Inside the Magic. The ride has been refurbished with new paint and updates to the animatronic dinosaurs. Apparently, it's minor but noticeable changes, such as better lighting with the lightning bolts, no broken down dinosaurs. <laughs> That's always nice. Yes. And of course, new paint. And there's also been an update to the Compsognathus scene. So instead of compies jumping over riders and they're attached to strings... There are now screens that show the compies jumping over rubble and tree trunks. And it's now a much smoother, more fun ride. And I think that's a good enough reason to go there. I guess so. I think I might actually prefer them on strings getting moved around than just screens of it. A lot of rides are going to this like screen heavy thing. I like the screens. Yeah, it's okay. Kind of feels like I could just watch that at home though. Nah, it's cool. I like animatronics. I like having the mix, like in the Cars Land ride at Disneyland. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I can only imagine. Because I haven't been on the dinosaur ride since, I think, 2010. I don't know if I've ever been on it. I did like a 4D dinosaur thing there, I think. But I think that was when that dinosaur movie was coming out back mm. like 15 years ago. Yeah, that was a while ago. <laughs> yeah. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a Brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. <laughs> Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. 
Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And now for our interview with Brad Jost. We're joined this week by Brad Jost and he's the creator and voice and everything behind the Jurassic Park podcast. And we've had him on the show, I think, twice before, although it's been quite a while since the last time, (laughs) an embarrassingly (laughs) long time. But we wanted to talk about some cool new gift ideas for this holiday season. And right when we were thinking of that, we noticed that Brad had just posted an awesome list on his podcast. So we're going to talk about that. And then Brad also recently went to the Jurassic Park Experience. Is that what it's called? Jurassic World Exhibition. Oh, there we go. Which sounds yeah. really cool. So we want to talk about that too. So what should we start with? Start with the gifts. Okay. Yeah, let's do those gifts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So on your podcast, you talked about some cool stuff on Etsy. There's like an Indominus Rex. There's some custom posters and there's some dinosaur venom. How did you find all this stuff on Etsy? Well, the good thing about Etsy is you can literally just go there, type in Jurassic Park, and and the amount of stuff on there is endless. <laughs> and if people don't know, Etsy is all like handcrafted stuff. It's all you know personal items that people have made specifically for this purchase. And um, yeah, the stuff is great. And uh, there's there's so many good posters that I, I came across and uh, little sculptures and stuff like you mentioned. So yeah, some of those ones I. I you know, put on my podcast last week and just said, like, look, people go buy these ones. These are the best <laughs> ones I could find at the moment. And, uh, you know, there's there's great stuff everywhere. But uh, I love these ones the most right now. Nice. Yeah, we really like this one guy named uh, Joseph Fells, and he's got these bleached T-shirts on Etsy. But I think it's he has kind of a similar problem that you pointed out on your podcast, which is when you're buying stuff on Etsy, a lot of it's handmade, which means you probably mm-hmm. won't even get it by the time the holidays roll around. Yeah, exactly. That's That was part of the problem. You know, I wanted to point it out, the Etsy stuff especially, but because it is handmade and people like put their, their heart into these things. But yeah, you're right. It takes a while to turn around some of these things. Like the you mentioned the, uh, the, the Indominus Rex sculpt. So mm-hmm. that's from sculptedetails.com and that sends you straight to Etsy. And, uh, well, yeah, when you go there, you can see like the amount of time it must take to make this thing. It's actually like a baby Indominus Rex. It's like, kind of like, looks like it's on its back in this like nice hunched over little pose. And it legit looks like the Indominus Rex from Jurassic World, just a tiny baby version of it that basically fits in the palm of your hand. And, uh, this thing is awesome. I wonder how many hours it takes to make. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just, I don't know if it said it on there. It's gotta be too many. Yeah, really. <laughs> I mean, it's it's listed at $175, which is, you know, it might seem a little steep, but like we, we've been talking about, the time and the hours and the energy it goes into making this stuff, it, it, it's worth it in the end. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. And then you also mentioned uh, some really expensive licensed 
Chronicle collectibles. Like they've got a T-Rex and a Compsognathus, and there's also a Velociraptor on their site. Is that an established brand, the Chronicles collectible? It looks like they had a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're legit. And it's licensed, you know, through Universal or whoever. So it's it's an official product. It's it's all really, really high quality stuff. And um, a lot of the items are actually molded like directly off of Stan Winston, the guy who who created all those those uh, dinosaurs from the first few movies. Like these are modeled off of his pieces. So cool. when you look at that, that that compie there, it's basically like a life size compie. And it's it may be like what was it three hundred something dollars? Um, I think that one might have been like a thousand dollars. No, the, the no the compi the compi's three ninety nine. Oh okay. So, but that's that's probably the best you're gonna get price wise when it comes to that the the cheapest for for this stuff, and um the, but the the level of detail on these are insane and uh, like I said it's like a life size compi that you can just put on your desk or on a shelf. And the one that you mentioned, which is a thousand dollars, is is I think the uh, the breakout T Rex maybe or no that one's five forty nine. No, oh, the, it might uh, be the Velociraptor. Velociraptor yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Velociraptor bust because, like I said, this stuff is like one to one ratio size wise, and like that's that that's a giant you know not a true Velociraptor of course, but it's it's, it's like, like the Raptor. movie. Yeah, it's the movie Velociraptor right there. You could do what you want with it. That's incredible. Yeah, it's cool. And yeah, this, but the the good part about it is there's always like payment plans and stuff like that. You can do three to six or 10 months, spread it out over over a little while and make it a little bit more affordable on yourself. Nice. There you go. And then there's also um, quite a few toys. You guys know so much more about toys than we do, so we don't have to go into all the details. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of different toys and I know Hasbro used to have the Jurassic Park and World license, but that's going to um, Mattel, I think. Mattel? Is that the Yeah, yeah. It's it's gonna be going to Mattel, um, I believe sometime next year or the year after. I forget it specifically right now. But yeah, that 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 whole deal fell through. I guess that, you know, they probably weren't satisfied with the the product that was out there. Hmm. I know that the toys did well for them, so it's not about that, but the quality overall, maybe we've talked about this before, people know already, but the quality of this this Hasbro line from specifically Jurassic World has been really not that good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, at the same time, I do like to point people to pick this stuff up for, for the holidays because if you if you go back to some of the older, you know, toy lines, Jurassic Park, The Lost World, even Jurassic Park 3, some of them are really, really hard to find. And specifically with Jurassic World, like this is not going to be around forever, this toy line, because they're coming in with a new batch. And uh, you might as well pick it up because... For sure, this will be on eBay way overpriced. <laughs> you know, give it some time. It will be there and you're going to have to pay a lot more money for it. So that's why I kind of suggest like, you know, it might not be the best stuff, but it is Jurassic World stuff. It is, you know, a cool dinosaur toy. Like specifically, they uh, they came out with the hybrid line that, uh, you know, showcases these these toys that are based off the mobile game. So it's kind of replicating all those. And uh, this uh, Indominus Rex. It's Rampage Indominus Rex. It's <laughs> kind of like it's like a straight white with gold on its underside and on its feet and red, you know, all over its back. That that thing is really cool looking. Actually, it's just you got to pay attention because sometimes the um, the actions don't move quite as well as they mm. should. 
And this thing does roar, but sometimes that like roar just like gets stuck and the chomping motion gets stuck and it just kind of repeats. So you got to like <laughs> sit there and test it out in the store. And I, you know, that's on my, on my episode, I kind of suggested, you know, maybe don't, maybe don't buy it online because you don't know what you're going to get. Hmm. Yeah. That's a good tip. That is a good tip. Yeah. It, it's fun stuff though. You know, it, it's, it's great to have around for sure. Yeah. And I mean, they're reasonably priced too, which is nice because a lot of these dinosaur things that we talk about all the time are just super expensive. So it's nice to have something (laughs) you could give to a kid and not freak out about them touching and playing with. I know. Yeah. You don't really want to give a raptor bust and pay a thousand, you know, something (laughs) bucks and, you know, have it fall off a shelf and break. But uh, this stuff, you know, this Hasbro stuff, you can certainly beat up. I mean, it's not as durable as the older toys, but uh, it's still, you know, any kid would love this stuff. Particularly, I've seen so many kids like absolutely love these toys. I remember like I think I was walking into an air show one time and I saw a kid just playing with it. And I was like, oh, man, he's got an Indominus Rex in his pocket. Like, that's so cool. <laughs> like, I remember just like seeing kids in the stores like going crazy over these toys. So while they're not like great for collectors and people who are, you know, fans of the original film franchise and forward, like it's good for kids. Definitely keeps their interest and. In- I know like how Jurassic Park kind of from that we got this whole new generation of paleontologists and I've heard kind of a similar thing with Jurassic World or at least we'll see in a few years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it will. I mean, it didn't, uh, the movie itself didn't really have the same aspect of paleontology. Uh, You know, maybe it was only five minutes, 10 minutes worth of time in the first film, but it definitely like inspired people to do this and and hopefully Jurassic World does that too. I, I think it will. Yeah, and I think it helped a lot with uh, just kind of the whole media, I don't know, industry is popping up with all <laughs> sorts of dinosaur stuff. So like we've seen tons of new games coming out for all sorts of consoles with dinosaurs in them. Whereas before Jurassic World came out, there was a pretty big lull there in good dinosaur games. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw a, f- a really funny tweet, I think today, and I, I don't, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was like, I think somebody made it illegal to post a dinosaur story without mentioning Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it's 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 100% spot on because no matter what like article you read, there's always like a little footnote that says like something about Jurassic Park in their Jurassic World and it I just laugh every time. <laughs> yeah. It's probably good for the uh SEO. <laughs> Get the Jurassic. Yeah, it's got it, it's got to be. <laughs> yeah, and Jurassic is now synonymous with dinosaur too. Which is always funny because they're always talking about T-Rex. Or they're always talking about Jurassic and T-Rex is from the yes. Cretaceous. I know. But. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's so funny like that that we, you know, assume one thing and it's not that at all. But like it's sort of like the way these dinosaurs are interpreted in the first place. Like we all assumed for a while that that's the way they were. And, you know, it's 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 coming out that it's not that way. That's true. But that's the that's the funny thing about these films is people still argue like to this day that the movies are wrong. Everything you see is wrong. But that's that's not what the movies are trying to do, you know? They're showing movie monsters. So it, you got to differentiate it. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely monster films. And they're to me all of them are just kind of a snapshot of what we thought back in the early 90s. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, the latest and greatest. They made that decision to not really update as they went along. So it's really just like it's a version that we used to think. <laughs> I know. Yeah. At the time, it's like, wow, man, these guys are spot on. They know their stuff. And then, yeah, obviously things change. But uh, I think once you establish that canon, you can't really change 
the way things are, people would be too freaked out. Everybody keeps saying, like, where's the feathers? Where's the feathers, you know, Jurassic Park? <laughs> but, like, but if they did that, you, you got to think about how many people would actually be really upset if they did. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> Even if it is more accurate, like, people would be like, that's not what a dinosaur looks like. You know, it's just misinformed people. So... <laughs> I think they should bring in like a new species and then have that one have feathers. <laughs> so like you they could, should. yeah, they could leave, you know, the velociraptors or whatever they call the big featherless, you know, Utah raptors. Yeah. They could leave those the same, but then come in with like Dakota raptor now and have that thing covered in feathers. I really hope they do. And I, I know we've probably talked about it before, but, but in the future, it sounds like there's going to be multiple companies maybe working on these dinosaurs. Yeah. And that sounds like a plausible idea to me. Like if they don't run with that, I'd be a little upset because it's setting it up perfectly, like to have multiple companies working on their own designs. And maybe one of those designs turns out to be feathers. I think that would be an amazing way to throw that in there. Yeah, definitely. So speaking of Jurassic Park and toys, there's some knockoff <laughs> Lego Jurassic <laughs> World toys. And I'm thinking about buying these because usually in order to get one of these Lego dinosaurs, you have to buy a whole kit. And yeah. for the Indominus Rex one, it's like 120 bucks or something. And the only Ooh. thing I want is the Indominus Rex Lego. <laughs> I don't care about, you know, the big gates and, you know, the crane that moves yeah. the stuff around or whatever. Like all that stuff, you know, that's whatever. I can build that with the little regular two by four blocks. Yeah, this is actually the fact that you pointed out. This is great because it's a basically legit set. Like there's no distinguishing difference between the two. Like you could put these right next to them and they'd look identical, I'm sure. Um, I, I know people that have these ones. I haven't myself picked them out, but the ones that I've seen look spot on. So there's like no – don't hesitate to buy these if, if you're you know feeling unsure about it. Just buy it for sure. <laughs> nice. I think I'm going to buy them and I'm going to buy like a bunch of them for my nieces and nephews. <laughs> who are probably going to listen to this and then know what they're going to get. But <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. He's not getting them. <laughs> yeah. It's a surprise. Don't worry. I wish. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Thanks. <laughs> I wish they had this kind of, well, I guess Lego was still under patent when I was a kid, but it was always like, you know, there was one piece you wanted out of the kit and you had to buy this huge thing in order to get it. And I like this yeah. pack of just dinosaurs looks super cool. It is. And it, that drives me nuts how much Lego, how expensive they are. Yeah. You know, because you want to play with them. You want to kind of put them together. But, you know, as adults, we're just probably going to put them together and throw it on a shelf, store it somewhere. We're not like tearing it apart and continuing to use it like a kid would. Um, so it's hard to justify that like hundred something dollar price tag for a full set. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. And I really like in the reviews, there's this picture that a guy did. He's got the, uh, I don't know what they're called, but it's like kind of a dollhouse version of Legos. I don't I think they're oh, called really? like play school or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he's got the dinosaurs like in all the scenes in their house. Like they're like <laughs> having tea or whatever and everything. It oh, just great. looks hilarious. That's awesome. Yeah. So I have to buy these. Yeah, <laughs> definitely do it. Yeah. Don't hesitate. And it's only, what is it? 17 bucks, I think with Prime. That's so a good it's free deal. shipping. Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. got eight dinosaurs well seven dinosaurs and a what do you call those things flying thingy <laughs> pterosaurs pterosaur that's the word i'm thinking right, of. you're the expert right yeah. I'm, I'm into it's dinosaurs it's been a long day yeah. the, the, the flying guys 
<laughs> yeah. Cool. I'm glad you uh, you think those are worth getting because now I'm I'm yeah. just going to use that as carte blanche to just buy a bunch of them. How long until yeah. you think we just start 3D printing our own toys? Wow. <laughs> I, I mean, I got to get a 3D printer first. So. That's true. But yet. That that I you know the thing is people do this already especially in in the Jurassic Park community I see people like giving these away all the time they print up their own little d- dinosaur designs or or whatever and and sell them or just give them away for free so it's already here <laughs> yeah yeah I think the biggest barrier right is access to the 3D printer but give it a few years and it'll be like having a regular printer probably well yeah we'll all have them <laughs> yeah yeah that'd be cool I can't wait. I haven't bought one yet because it's like, it still seems too early. Like I'll just be constantly fiddling with it, trying to get it to work. It does take yeah. a long time. I just used one at work and it took three hours to print a small thing. Hmm. Oh, yeah. And it's, you know, they're still not the cheapest thing. So it's it's like a period of time where the VHS or the DVD player <laughs> was like a thousand dollars and <laughs> You know, now you can get it for thirty-five bucks at Walmart or something. You know, it's yep. it's uh, it's uh, it'll it'll come down eventually. Yeah, cool. So I also wanted to talk about some books, which I know are not the most exciting gift, but it does make up like a third of my Amazon wish list. So I would feel remiss <laughs> not to mention books. Most of my wish list right now, too. <laughs> got it. You got to read though. Yeah. So. We have a sponsor, Artemisia Publishing, and they've got coloring and activity books for kids, which are obviously a great option if you're a kid or you are buying a gift for a kid. I love coloring, so. Yes. But then (laughs) for adults, there are also tons of good books. Most of the ones are a little bit heavier. (laughs) So there's a new edition of the Princeton Field Guide to Dinosaurs, which is currently on my wish list because it looks really cool. And the new edition just came out, so I'm sure it's up to date and everything. I haven't read it yet. At least for a few months, right? Yeah, (laughs) until there are a ton of new discoveries. So, (laughs) yeah, that's definitely a good choice. And one of the key things I'd always point out on Reddit and stuff when people are asking about dinosaur books is I usually go for the newest ones because since dinosaur stuff, like Sabrina's saying, is constantly changing, if you buy an old book, it's got so much outdated information in it that, you know, you don't know which parts of it have been updated and you, you know, you don't know what the drawings actually, you know, if they are still interpreted that way, if the dinosaur name has been synonymized with another one so that dinosaur isn't even considered valid anymore. It, <laughs> there's so much stuff that changes. <laughs> so, yeah. Unless there's, if it has really pretty art, you can buy an old book. That's my exception to yeah very true very true so then another one is uh the sauropod dinosaurs life in the age of giants and sabrina picked that one up from the author at svp and the illustrator we got both of them to sign it yeah and it looks really cool it's got awesome drawings and all the latest science in there so if you're into sauropods like sabrina that's probably the book that you want to get yeah, and I, I'm looking at this right now. Actually, the, just the cover alone is drawing me in. Like the <laughs> the look of these these dinosaurs on here. This is awesome. It's a I really, really got to check this out. Yeah, it's a really pretty book. Yeah, even on the inside, I'm looking at the. It's like one of the the happiest looking brachiosauruses I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and both of those books are only like thirty bucks. They're pretty cheap for a big hardcover dinosaur book. I mean, nice, reasonably priced. 
The next one is not so cheap, and I think it's because it's called Dinosaurs the Textbook. So <laughs> since textbooks just have to be expensive, I guess it's like three times as much. But we grabbed that one at SVP also, and it's really good. I've only finished the first couple chapters of it so far, but it's a very, very good summary of dinosaurs from kind of the perspective of an undergraduate level college student. So there's no no background information or knowledge necessary. It, it starts at the beginning with dinosaurs are a type of reptile and, you know, lizards aren't in that same group. And then, you know, it, it goes from there into the hips and then into Sauriscians and Ornithischians and then all the complexities that arise from that. But you could start at page one knowing nothing about dinosaurs and by the end you understand cladistics and all that good stuff. So... Yep. Nice. Man, uh, you guys are, are informing me. I got to go get this stuff right away. <laughs> yeah, this one, I've been really impressed with this book. And apparently it's the sixth edition. The first one came out, I guess, in the 80s or something. Hmm. And the author says in the foreword that he wrote it because he was going to start a dinosaur class and there wasn't a textbook for it. So he <laughs> made this textbook. That's cool. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a very good source. I'm I'm really liking it. And nice. things that took me a long time, like hours of online research to clarify whether something was true or not, is like in the first page or two of the book. There you go. Books are still relevant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Because that, that's the whole problem with the internet. It's there forever. And with something like dinosaurs that are constantly updating, you get so much outdate, outdated information everywhere. But with this, not so much. Plus, it's edited by a professional and not just a random person <laughs> on a message board. So <laughs> that's also good. Good stuff. Yeah. So that's probably enough of the books. Um, <laughs> there's also some really cool replicas. And actually, in the process of looking into which replicas I would recommend, I realized that both of our big dinosaur replica things that we have are from the same place which is Gaston Designs, and we met with the maker and... The owner. Yes, owner of Gaston Designs. His last name is Gaston. Makes Not sense. Not surprising. Yeah. <laughs> Good name for a site then, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and he's got really cool stuff on there. They've got individual bones, like we have a Stegosaurus plate, which is, I don't remember, it's like two feet tall or so. It's a big old replica and we also have an Allosaurus hand, but you can go way bigger if you want. Like you can get a sauropod leg. It's like, Whoa. that one's a little expensive. I think that's like three grand, but it's a museum quality replica. It's like actually a replica, you know, like we were talking about the Velociraptor bust where it's made from yeah. the original. It's the same kind of thing, except from a fossil rather than from the prop so. the true original <laughs> yeah but i mean it's 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 a different niche because this is just a bone it doesn't look exciting you know with the eyes and the lips and the <laughs> scales and everything it's well, it's, it's a whole bone. lot more dead yeah <laughs> it is much more dead less likely it does look to, cool though <laughs> less yeah. likely to scare you at night if you like walk into the room and forget it's there <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> unless you can buy a full articulated dinosaur like this one here that you you forwarded over is thirty two thousand dollars. Yeah, wow, 
Yeah, that's not the most expensive one either. I think they... No? Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> but I think that's meant for museums, right? Okay. All right. That, that makes <laughs> a little bit more sense. <laughs> it's because it's awesome. I mean, if I had that, I would buy it for yeah. sure. But <laughs> you also need the space for it. <laughs> yeah. 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 What is this? 18 foot? Okay. Yeah. I don't, ha- I don't know if I can fit that. <laughs> yeah. Like they also have a Lithronax, which is a theropod. Looks kind of like a... Uh, small tyrannosaurid and that one's $38,000 22 and a half feet long super awesome looking I would love to have that obviously we don't have space for it or money for it but (laughs) you imagine just on your front yard you know just chilling out there so cool yeah I don't know if you could put it outdoors though I don't think our neighbors Uh, would appreciate it (laughs) Yeah, I think these are all resin you probably need to keep them indoors I've talked about getting some metal ones because there are people that make these metal versions that are really cool. Yeah. I also kind of want to have a mural on the side of our house that's we'll all dinosaurs. Be the dinosaur house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the garage door. People do that. That would yeah. be cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, But they have stuff. You know, you can buy just like a claw or a finger or something for, you know, 50, 60 bucks. So the whole spectrum. Whatever dinosaur you love and want a replica of. There's a decent chance they have something for you. Yeah, the claw is something classic. You know, everybody wants one of those. Every kid does. And I know I I had one at least. I think I broke it. But I remember (laughs) I loved that thing. That thing was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we really like our replicas. We picked one of them up at Dinosaur National Monument. And they said, are you teachers? Like, why are you buying this? (laughs) We're like, no, we just really like dinosaurs. Enthusiasts. (laughs) Yeah. And then we got the other one from our wedding registry, <laughs> registered <laughs> <Nice>. for the <laughs> Stegosaurus plate. Yep. And an understanding family member got it for us. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good family. <laughs> yeah. It's a really good gift. So, okay. outside of that, if you don't want an actual dinosaur in your living room taking up the entire thing, you might just want some clothing and... Not so much real clothing, but you could get the T-Rex inflatable Jurassic World costume. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have one. Yeah, we got one of those and we love nice. it. Nice. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> it's so fun. I, I don't think I've ever talked to anybody that had one. So, so you love that thing? It's really good? It is great. We also picked up one where it's like a T-Rex that sticks out in front and behind you and it looks like you're riding it. Oh, yeah. That one's cool. Yeah. <laughs> That one's cheaper and a lot easier to wear. I mean, like, because you have access to your face so you can, like, take a drink of water or something. Yeah. <laughs> while you're in it. You're stuck in this thing, right? The, yeah, I mean, the, it's, like, sealed. The Jurassic World one, once you put on the... Uh, you don't have to wear the mitts the either. Mitts. Yeah, but you can't really do anything with your hands. Yeah. <laughs> They're like mittens. If, you're, if you were wearing mittens that squished your thumb in with, you know, the next one or two fingers because oh, you know no. they're like two finger things so they're like these weird two-handed mitt- or two-fingered mittens <laughs> and then you know in order to wear it properly you have to basically keep most of your arm in the suit so you can't really reach anything either yeah so yeah. <laughs> but it's <laughs> it's surprisingly comfortable because the way it works is it's constantly blowing air in through like a little fan and then the air leaks out by your hands and your feet. So you're constantly getting fresh air in there. It doesn't get really stuffy. And it's super fun. At SVP, I 
I don't know if it was the same person throughout or if people were taking turns or just different people had this costume, but like that a T-Rex would appear sometimes in the halls <laughs> and like in the, by the exhibits and, and where people were selling things. And then also there was a party on the last night and there was a, somebody in the costume just dancing. I think they were swing dancing yeah. at one point. Yeah, they were dancing really well too. It was great. And then um, at the end of one of the songs, I saw it, she like walked off the floor, must have been too hot or something, and then like unzipped the outfit and then just like springs up, hands in the air, like, yeah. And then everybody's <laughs> around her in a circle cheering, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a That's great awesome. costume. And if you're going to get it, it's like the perfect time to get it. I thought about getting it last year. And around this time, it was also about $80. But then we ended up waiting until we were going to SVP to get it. And by that time, it was near Halloween and everyone was selling out. So you had to go to somebody that was reselling it for, you know, like 100 bucks. I think I ended oh, up man. finding somebody who had one used for like 90 But it's good to get it now. Because it's a costume, too, that you could wear for more than one year. You know, it's not just a one-time <laughs> Halloween costume. You're not going to, like, outgrow it if you, you know, have growth spurt or something. Yeah. Both Garrett and I could wear it comfortably. Yeah. And she's 5'2", <laughs> and I'm 6'3", so. <laughs> You're like the life of the party, though, every time, you know, if you wear this thing. It I don't think great. anybody gets sick of it, you know? It's so cool. Yeah. And you can do anything in it, as YouTube has shown us. You can do Ninja oh, Warrior. Yeah. You can do yeah, that one was shoveling, impressive. whatever you want to do. Ride motorcycles, anything. <laughs> yeah, it's all possible. Yeah. So there's also the Jurassic Park score that's been remastered oh, and yes. released. And they have a limited copy. I think it's 5,000 of them that they're sending out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This thing's from uh, La La Land Records. It's um, it's something I hadn't heard about before. Um, and when you kind of go to that site, you're like, hey, is this legit? I don't know if this is real or not, but it is. It's it's official, and they've done so many different soundtracks. And they what they do is they kind of re-edit them, remaster them, and uh, put them you know in a nice package together. And uh, it's this is this collection I have. I actually just got it in the other day. It's a John Williams you know Jurassic Park collection. So it has. Jurassic Park and it has the Lost World. Those are the only two that he did. I, I absolutely love this collection because it has like unreleased songs or, you know, not songs, but scores from the movie. Stuff that you've probably heard in the movie in the background somewhere, but it's new stuff basically. And, it, you know, some of the stuff you can maybe find on YouTube, but the thing about that is you can tell that they've drowned out a lot of the sound effects and the, the people talking. So you can hear all that stuff. But these ones, these are all new. They're all fresh and there's, there's, there's no talking or sound effects over them, and uh, it's really, really awesome stuff. And uh, I am so thankful to have like the Lost World soundtrack fully intact because back when it came out in '97, it, it only came out with 14 tracks, and uh, that's like you know not nearly as much as there was in that movie. And and that movie specifically had some really, really awesome work from John Williams. So I'm so happy to have like a full soundtrack now for that movie. Nice. Yeah, those songs are amazing. I remember. Back in middle school, I think one of the Jurassic Park movie was, movies was coming out. It wasn't the first one, maybe the second or third one. And I played trombone and our whole band did the big <laughs> opening, you know, Jurassic Park music. Nice. And it was so fun playing. And there's so much intricacy in those songs. It's just great. I love it. 
that's one thing I always I always wished my band school band played that stuff too. Man, you're lucky you got to do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, it's just amazing to to have this like uncovered. You know, it's like it's like finding a new dinosaur species. All of a sudden, these new like you know these new tracks just came out of nowhere. Yeah. Stuff you really haven't heard before. Because sometimes they do drown it out in the movies, so you don't exactly pay attention to it. So it does sound brand new here on the, on the uh, the CDs. It, and it's funny because I haven't like bought a cd in so long i've been doing a lot of digital stuff for streaming and it felt funny i was like how do i get this on my computer again <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a great collection it comes with um a nice booklet on the inside that has basically the entire story of jurassic park like from the you know inception when when michael Crichton like realized he wanted to write the book to the the filmmaking and and everything like through all the way through to the lost world and uh, it's really informative and, and some some really cool like backstory to how everything was made. So that's that's kind of worth it in itself. But uh, absolutely pick this up. I think it I don't remember specifically It's probably right around the fifty eight fifty nine dollar mark. Yeah. Um, but like, like you said, it's five thousand pieces. So it's going to be gone pretty quickly. Yeah, I bought it right before we started recording today because <laughs> I was looking at it and I remembered you saying that on your podcast and I was like, crap, I should probably buy that before it disappears. <laughs> and I was half expecting when I showed up on the website for it to say sold out, but luckily it's not sold out yet. No, yeah, it's still available, but I, I mean, I don't know what the what the outlook's looking right, like right now. I'm, I don't know how many are sold, but I know a lot of people have bought it. So Yeah. Yeah, they don't give you any information. It just says limit to 5,000. It doesn't say anything about how many have sold so far. <laughs> no, and especially with Jurassic Park exclusives, like I, I've always tried to buy artwork or stuff like that, that that's released, like, say, through Mondo. Or, you know, sometimes they do the the um, old school albums, you know, with a nice cover art and everything like that. Oh, Those cool. things typically go really fast. And, and, like, by the time I sign on to the website, it's gone. And I'm like, <laughs> no, like... So this is one of those things that I, I did not want it to slip away. Yeah, it's really cool looking. Thanks for the tip, by the way. <laughs> I'll do it. Yeah, get it. <laughs> I feel like at the end of this, now it's just we all want to rush out and buy even more dinosaur and Jurassic Park stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that is the problem. Like you just like realize how many things you didn't put on your list. And then you're like, oh, I got to rearrange stuff. How, how important is, is that other stuff? This stuff's got to go to the top. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> cool so i think that's enough of the the gifts people are probably all out of money by now so we should <laughs> move on to the jurassic world uh ex exhibition yeah i get it well, oh nice yeah you, you gotta you gotta don't uh stop buying gifts just yet because you know if you do live in the northeast buy this as a gift for somebody uh -huh. oh yeah that's a good you one know, you got to it's it's if you're in, it's in Philadelphia right now at the Franklin Institute. So if you're in that area, you know, maybe even drive an hour or two, it's fine. Go to this thing. It's, I think it's like 30 something bucks. And, um, what it is, is basically the Jurassic World, the exhibition in Franklin Institute. So you go in the museum and off to the left, there's, um, like a walkway you go down and it leads you to basically like you're traveling to Isla Nublar from the movies and you get on a ferry and you're watching like cool, really like in world movies that they've filmed and created kind of looks like an advertisement for the park and everything. Hmm. So you basically get on a ferry and travel to the Island. And, and I don't know if there's anything better than that. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. That's more elaborate than I was expecting it basically to just be like a, a room full of props. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I mean, technically, yes, but like this room that you go into, it's all set dressed to look specifically like a fairy. So, and the cool part about this fairy thing is like uh, on the walls, it has like portals. So, like, it looks like you're on a boat and you mm-hmm. look out and you see water churning and everything. And then, uh, if you've ever gone on a cruise ship, you know, sometimes you turn on your TV in the room and it has like the front of the ship. Yeah. And like maybe some gauges on it. It has that like going up <laughs> on the front before the video starts. So it seems legit. And then you you enter once that, that whole experience is over because like what it is is it's timed. So you buy your time time slot. So mm. we went at 930 in the morning on the first day. And uh, so we got in the room at 930 and then, you know, you wait for a few minutes and then you go in. So you're you kind of got a, a little group of people that you travel with the entire time almost depending on how long you stay in certain exhibits. Mm-hmm. But what it is, is just amazing animatronics, like huge. Like you, I was kind of blown away by how big these things actually were. Oh, cool. um, you guys have, you guys have seen uh, like what, uh, walking with dinosaurs and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but from far away. Yeah. And you, you love that, right? Yeah. That was, that's one of our favorite dinosaur anythings is walking with dinosaurs. That was great. And uh, yeah, so that was in what, like an arena kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah, we yeah. saw it in Sacramento in the Sacramento Kings Stadium. So we were like in the upper bowl or something. So you're really far away from the actual animatronics. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, I'm sure it looked amazing, right? But this time you get to be like literally up close with them. Like it's, it's amazing. Like I, I've never been this close to a giant, like lifelike animatronic. <laughs> so when you're when you're in the, like a theater or a giant uh, arena, like you were, the stuff probably looked incredible because you have that distance between you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you kind of think like, oh, when I get up close, it might not look as good, but this stuff does. It looks amazing. Like I, I was blown away by how good the stuff looked. That's really cool. So is it each room you walk through is a scene from the movie? Um, sort of, I mean, you, you kind of, um, so you go in and you, you're, you're kind of looking at specific paddocks throughout the, the exhibit. So you first come upon like a Brachiosaurus paddock and, and, uh, it's got the, a giant neck like coming out of the ground. (laughs) So I think they, I think they like dressed it up with some plants and leaves and things. So it looked like you're in maybe a treetop or something, but yeah, that this animatronic is so fluid and you're looking straight up at the thing and it it sounds lifelike and, and you hear like the whatever the weird noise that it makes. Uh, I don't know. Imagine some weird deep noise. That's it's what like it sounds like. Kinda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. So, so you're imagining that and you see that thing right in front of you. And then you kind of, what you do is you just kind of go along the path and you come across like different dinosaurs throughout the ex- exhibition. And, um, kind of in between some of the exhibits is like, like you were talking about parts from the movie. So you come across the, the Hammond innovation la- uh, lab. So you're, if you remember from Jurassic World, it's like, so in the beginning of the movie, Dr. Wu is kind of like explaining what the Indominus Rex is to a few investors with mm-hmm. Stylus Howard's character. So that room where the, where the lab is taking place, like you see like technicians doing stuff and eggs hatching and all kinds of stuff. That's what you get at the exhibition. So there's like a cool room where you can kind of explore and poke around and do some cool things and look through mic- microscopes and, and play with uh, tablets and different things. So Awesome. It's really it's really interactive. So, yeah. so you can uh, you know, spend time and not just kind of breeze through it. Is it 
is the interactive stuff kind of like kid e or is it more adult or kind of something for I, everyone? I would say it's kind of it's for everybody. There's definitely a lot of kid stuff. There was like a you could design your own dinosaur, <laughs> I think. Like, and when I looked over, I, I didn't get a chance because there was so many kids over there. But there was like so many really really colorful dinosaurs. So <laughs> it was uh, some really uh, inspirational stuff. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you guys, I know you you talk a lot about like the different costumes that you can wear and stuff like that for dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not like that blow up Jurassic World one, but the legit ones. Um, oh, yeah. They do, they do have one. Um, and it's a it's a velociraptor. It's like a new experience for for Philadelphia because this ex- exhibition used to be in Australia first. Yeah. Um, and this is a new added feature where this this uh, velociraptor kind of walks out in its little pan and kind of you know goes up to the pan and tries to scare you um <laughs> it's not it i'll say it's not the best looking costume or not i shouldn't say that the costume looked good but the fact that you can see a person walking it kind of takes away from that little experience <laughs> yeah but uh, overall that part was still cool i think the the lifelike um velociraptor sculpt and everything the way it was painted it all looked like really good probably one of the better ones i've seen but the fact that i saw this this guy or, or somebody like underneath just waddling with the suit just kind of like <laughs> made me laugh a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah. Probably look different to the kids. Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, I mean, uh, I did hear, uh, I mentioned it uh, once on my podcast that people were kind of like giggling about it. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, maybe maybe they're giggling about something else. But it was right when the, the person turned around and kind of like waddled out of the room. <laughs> and I was like, all right, they're they're definitely you know, giggling at, at this person because <laughs> it, it's tough. And you guys know, like with those suits, it's almost impossible to hide that somebody's yeah. in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've seen some actually out in, I think, uh, I don't know if it's universal Hollywood or Japan. One of those have like a person that walks in a Raptor costume, but, and the legs are hidden in, so you're, they're actually like the Raptor legs, but, um, oh, cool. it still looks kind of goofy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, in Japan they just they're working on building some kind of dino theme park where people are walking around and I think the legs are hidden in those costumes oh, too. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, that'll that be makes good. A difference. <laughs> you need to you need to make it somewhat believable and and with this exhibit it's really believable. And then that moment I was like, all right, that's not that's not too good. But <laughs> but overall, like like there's a Pachyrannosaurus that you come across and the, the the size of that thing was so massive. I was blown away by how big it was. I did not expect it to be so huge. <laughs> and like I said, you're right up next to these things. And you'd think it's not very believable, but these are. They're so good. And that one specifically was one of my favorite ones for sure. It was, it was in the Gentle Giants paddock. So <laughs> you got to hang out in there. There's like nice Gentle Giants sign. And there's there's actually some dino dung that you stick your arm in and uh it's you got to try it it's it's really funny because you put your arm in this giant pile of dino poo and just reach around and yeah it feels nasty (laughs) (laughs) that's funny yeah it's but you got to try it 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 might seem disgusting but it's it's clean i I swear (laughs) (laughs) let's see some of the other things in there there's actually a like a sort of back to that timed experience. So you go in and you, you see the T-Rex and you kind of wait in this room for a second and it, and it walks out. So this is actually, um, I believe it's like legit the same one from walking with dinosaurs. Huh. 
because it's the same company that made this this experience. Mm-hmm. So so when you're watching those from far away, just imagine that T-Rex, but inside a room <laughs> and it's now walking in front of you <laughs> like 10 feet or less, depending on where you're standing right there. And uh, that thing, it might not look like the one from Jurassic Park or Jurassic World, but it's so impressive. It's huge. It's it, you know, it shakes your body with the roar and everything. So that is so impressive. Wow. You, yeah. You, you, I like I sat in there for a few a few turns just to watch it over again. It's awesome. That's really cool. How much does it cost to do the experience? I think it was like $35 or so. That's not too bad. I think walking with dinosaurs was like $80 and we had kind of crappy wow, seats. Wow, really? Huh. It might have been $40 a person. I don't remember if that was total or... Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, this is $34.95 for adults and $29.95 for, for children, 3 to 11 that's for a daytime ticket. And actually, if you go to, uh, sorry for the plug, JurassicParkPodcast.com, we actually do have $5 off promo code that you can use uh, at, at uh, the Franklin Institute. Nice. Yeah, so we're, we're working closely with them to, to give the, like, the Jurassic Park and dinosaur fans directly like, a, a nice experience and a few, few bucks off. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Especially if you have like a $30 limit on your christmas gift that brings it just underneath <laughs> i know yeah that and I'm, I'm glad we we could work that out right before the the holidays here because it's uh it, any any amount is helpful i'm sure yeah but i guess like lastly at this ex- exhibition there's there's a few different there's a stegosaurus there's yeah there's a few but they got an ankylosaurus in there no actually they oh. don't i wish they did <laughs> that, that would have been really awesome it would have been prime because if they played directly off the movie it would have worked well, you know, because there was that fight scene with the mm-hmm. Indominus Rex and the Ankylosaurus. But the Indominus Rex is in this ex- exhibition, and uh, it's so impressive. And uh, I keep raving about it every, every to everybody I talk to because it's like, you know, if you see how good those ones look in the movies, those animatronics, because they, you know, they blend animatronics and CGI in the movies. Mm-hmm. The animatronics look so good in the movies, and this one is on par, I think, with those ones. Wow. So you're you're staring at like what looks like a, a real Indominus Rex, which is not real, obviously, but <laughs> it looks like it's real. But um, and that thing is insane. Like I can't really fully describe it to you, but uh, it's it's crazy. It's <laughs> there's no way to other other way to explain it because it's the best thing I've seen, and uh, it tops off the exhibition. It's the last one you see, and it's so so incredibly impressive and lifelike. Man, I really hope they come to California. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, it's it, we don't know. I mean, where it's going exactly just yet. So hopefully it uh, it gets on that side of the country soon. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> Philadelphia is a little ways away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's always tough. I see people like asking, "Oh, can it come here, or there, or anywhere?" We're not near Philadelphia, but uh, you know, it's there for now, and it's there till April, the end of April. So if you do want to see it, I suggest going there if you can, if you if you can make it, if you can, you know, travel your way out there because you don't know. It might go, you know, overseas somewhere next. We don't really know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's so, coming from Melbourne. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you don't know. I mean, it could go somewhere. And and I'm trying to think with the timeline, uh, the next movie comes out in June 2018. So you have all of well, not all of 2017 because it ends in April. So it'll probably leave there and pick up again a few months after that. But um, 
yeah, it's not going to have a lot of time before the next movie comes out, and I don't know what their plan is. So definitely, if you do have the chance to drive to Philadelphia or take a train or fly or do whatever, go do it because uh, <laughs> you don't want to miss it. Yeah, we might have to. I wish they published where they were headed, but they don't have any information on maybe, future venues. Maybe they don't know yet. I know. Yeah. Yeah, they could be still working out deals, but that would make it very helpful to kind of plan because if, if you guys decide, hey, I'm going to fly out and you guys are out in California, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If so if you fly all the way out here and then it comes to California next, you'll be so upset. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty annoying. Or yeah. we just see it again. I guess. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I mean, you got to make it, yeah, make a weekend out of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing they know, though, because we were talking to somebody at a museum and they were saying the popular traveling exhibits, at least in museums, I realize this isn't really a museum thing, but those tend to book up like a year or two in advance. So Uh this thing must be super popular. You'd expect people to be, you know, really trying to get them locked in. Yeah. Yeah. And I know the Franklin Institute, um, which is the first time I've been to that museum. It's a it's a cool place. It's more for I'd say it's more for kids like um, in out in New York. They have the Liberty Science Center. So it's kind of like a lot of um, class trips and stuff like that. But um, the museum's fun for sure. So we did the rest of the museum as well. But I've I've been hearing that it's breaking all kinds of records at that place. So so I'm sure they're very happy to have it out there. Mm-hmm. Which me and all these other museums, I'm sure, are hearing that they're breaking records and then they want it. <laughs> we need it. Get it. Do they do any nighttime <laughs> activities? Not anything that I've heard, you know, yet. There, There is like night admission, uh, let's see, I think till 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but nothing specific, nothing, uh, nothing crazy, no. Yeah. Around here, most of the museums or the two big museums do like a adults only alcohol, like, nighttime thing at least oh, once man. a week those are pretty fun they'd be good with dinosaurs yeah that that's got to be hopefully i mean hopefully they do something um uh if, do you mind if i plug one more thing go but for it we do have um a meetup for for jurassic park fans or jurassic world any dinosaur fans anybody um that's listening uh we have a meetup going on on january 7th uh 2017 it's man i can't believe 2017 is coming up <laughs> yeah um uh, but so so we're meeting out there at this exhibit uh, exhibition. I, I keep mixing up those words every time. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're gonna meet up. I know uh, I, I'm bringing a lot of people I know, and uh, I know I'm meeting a bunch of Jurassic fans out there already. Uh, so we're getting the plans in place, and we have the promo code and everything. So we're working to get a, a bunch of people out there. So if anybody's interested, head on out January seventh, and uh, I think we're looking probably about about a twelve o'clock showing or so. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, if we were around, we would definitely go. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited about it, so I I can't wait. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Brad, for coming on our show again and talking to us about all the toys and the Jurassic Park, no, Jurassic World experience Exhi- exhibit. <laughs> Exhibition, almost. One of, one of those words. You Google it, it'll come up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. And yeah, if any of the listeners want to see more about the different gifts and gift ideas that you have, they should definitely listen to your podcast or head over to your website. That's where I went and, you know, you can grab all the links. You can see the specific Etsy stores that Brad was talking about and the Hasbro toys, as well as these Chronicle collectibles, the Jurassic Park score and 
Also, the promo code and more details on the meetup if you're yeah. in or near the Philadelphia area. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like a great time. Thanks for having me, guys. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Thanks again, Brad. That was a really great discussion. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. And now on to our dinosaur of the day, Gigantoraptor, which was a request from Cole via Patreon. So thanks, Cole. The name means giant Caesar or giant thief. And the type species is Gigantoraptor earlianensis. And the species name refers to Erlian basis, where it was found. It was discovered in 2005 in Mongolia, and the holotype discovery was actually captured on film when Xu Xing was asked to reenact the discovery of a different dinosaur, the sauropod Sanitosaurus, in 2005 for a documentary. But when he cleaned the bone, he realized it was the thigh bone of an unknown theropod about the size of Albertosaurus instead of the sauropod. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. I haven't heard of any other dinosaur discoveries that have been captured on film. Yeah, accidentally, especially. <laughs> yeah. So Shu described and named Gigantoraptor in 2007, along with Tan Qingwei, Wang Jianmin, Zhao Xijin, and Tan Lin. They found a subadult with a partial skeleton, the lower jaw, single neck vertebra, most of the back and tail. And the specimen is about 11 years old. It's a large oviraptorosaurian, the largest found so far. And it's much larger than other oviraptors. It's about three times as long and 35 times more massive than city potty. Shu estimated Gigantoraptor to be about 26 feet or 8 meters long. There's no direct evidence of feathers, but it's possible, though other oviraptors had feathers. And Gigantoraptor may have been too large and not needed feathers, though Shu Xing and others have said that it probably had at least arm feathers since they could be used for display or brooding and not needed to regulate body heat. Yeah, and then you've got things like T-Rex that might have had those more simple proto-feather type things, mm -hmm. where it's just kind of like a big, thick filament, almost like a hair, where probably wouldn't do much for heat, but might make it look unique. Yeah, exactly. So it's not clear what Gigantoraptor ate, though some oviraptors were herbivores, but Gigantoraptor had long legs and probably could move fast, and it also had large claws. It's possible it had to be fast to run away from predators, though. This is according to Gregory Paul. It had a long neck, like many herbivores, and it had a toothless jaw and probably had a horny beak, and it had strongly curved toe claws. The name Ovaraptorosaur means egg thief lizards, and they're a group of feathered manoraptorans that lived in the Cretaceous in what is now Asia and North America. They had short skulls, and they widely vary in size because they range from the size of about a turkey to, of course, the giant... Gigantoraptor. <laughs> yeah, I really like that one because it's such a a fun kind of like comical, you know, literally like a giant turkey kind of thing. Yeah. It's just great. I hope it did have feathers or something like them. Yeah, me too. Makes it look a little more goofy. And our fun fact goes back to my first news item, which was about birds being able to fly with two and a half grams of force per square centimeter, I kind of wanted to apply this to something. And I figured what would be fun to figure out if it could fly. So what rabbit hole could I go down yes, today? Th there are so many options. 
So I settled on dragons because there are so many big dragons in fantasy. And I've been curious for a while if you could estimate what kind of lift force they would need in order to fly and how that would compare to their wings and how large their wings are in these, you know, movies and children's books and things like that. So I used Habib's research (laughs) and a ton of dragon forums, and there are a ton of them online, to get some estimated sizes for dragons. And ultimately, I ended up using Smog, which is the dragon from the desolation of smog where smog does not get desolated or do any desolating or just the book the hobbit (laughs) yeah but specifically the one from the movie because they don't describe the size of the dragon in the book really so you need the movie in order to like actually measure it relative to known sizes of things i guess that's a reason to need the movie yes and so when you do all this analysis because there are plenty of people online that do it Not unlike what I'm doing. You get to this length estimate of about 60 meters, which is about the same size as Amphicelius, which is that crazy, enormous sauropod that only had the one vertebra that mysteriously went missing, so might not have even existed. But it's by far the biggest dinosaur that anyone has ever even conjectured existing. And it would have had a wingspan of about 100 meters, And conservatively doing some geometry and whatnot, it would have weighed at least 100 tons and its wing area would have been somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 meters squared. So what you end up getting is that it would have required a constant force of 5 to 10 grams per centimeter squared, which is at least twice as much as the best birds can achieve. So that doesn't sound that bad at the beginning of, you know, an estimate But the even bigger problem is that those figures are for constant flight. And, you know, the only time you get constant force up is when you're gliding. And when you're flapping, you'd have to create even more force on the downstroke to make up for the lack of lift that you get on the upstroke, which means they'd be putting more than 50 tons of force on each joint where the wing meets the body and You know, there's just no way that bone and muscle can withstand that kind of force. It would rip the wing right out of the body of the dragon if it tried to do something like that. So it's completely impossible. I haven't seen anything specifically about Tolkien's description of how his dragons could fly. I assume it's by magic. And in an interview, George R.R. Martin said that he wasn't sure if he wanted dragons in a series since they require magic because they make no sense aerodynamically. And as he puts it, you need some magic in a fantasy, but too much magic is like too much salt in soup. So he decided to describe his dragons as flying with magic. And I think that's the only way that they work because they wouldn't have been able to flap their wings and they're never portrayed as just gliding. So Plus they're magical creatures. Yeah. And they wouldn't have really even been able to glide. Or exist. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Some of the smaller ones, maybe. You know, if you had like those little, like the how you, how to train your dragon size dragon. <laughs> Although you probably couldn't ride it because then you're like doubling its weight and it might not be able to take off anymore. Yeah. Anywho, kind of a fun thought experiment. <laughs> Sounds good. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. If you want to 
join our growing community on Patreon, check out our page at patreon.com slash I know Dino. Thanks again. And until next time. Good